0: as extra items for each episode, you can read or download. You can also find great books and videos for sale as well. Feel free to also visit our Facebook page. A link is provided as well on the website. Okay, on to the episode.
1: Henry II of England,
2: Henry II, also known as Henry Kurt Mantle. Henry FitzEmpress or Henry Plantagenet, ruled as Count of Anjou, Count of Maine, Duke of Normandy, Duke of Aquitaine, Count of Nantes, King of England and Lord of Ireland. At various times, he also controlled Wales, Scotland and Brittany. Henry was the son of Geoffrey of Anjou and Matilda, daughter of Henry of England. He became actively involved by the age of 14 in his mother's efforts to claim the throne of England. Then occupied by Stephen of Blois, and was made Duke of Normandy at 17. He inherited Anjou in 1151 and shortly afterwards married Eleanor of Aquitaine, whose marriage to Louis VII of France had recently been annulled. Stephen agreed to a peace treaty after Henry's military expedition to England in 1153. Henry inherited the kingdom on Stephen's death a year later. Henry was an energetic and sometimes ruthless ruler driven by a desire to restore the lands and privileges of his royal grandfather, Henry I. During the early years of the younger Henry's reign he restored the royal administration in England, re-established hegemony over Wales and gained full control over his lands in Anjou, Maine and Touraine. Henry's desire to reform the relationship with the Church led to conflict with his former friend Thomas Becket, the Archbishop of Canterbury. This controversy lasted for much of the 1160s and resulted in Becket's death in 1170. Henry soon came into conflict with Louis VII, and the two rulers fought what has been termed a Cold War over several decades. Henry expanded his empire, often at Louis' expense, taking Brittany and pushing east into central France and south into Toulouse. Despite numerous peace conferences and treaties, no lasting agreement was reached. By 1172, he controlled England, large parts of Wales, the eastern half of Ireland and the western half of France, an area that would later come to be called the Angevin Empire. Henry and Eleanor had eight children. As they grew up, tensions over the future inheritance of the empire began to emerge, encouraged by Louis and his son King Philip II. In 1173 Henry's heir apparent, young Henry, rebelled in protest. He was joined by his brothers Richard and Geoffrey and by their mother, Eleanor. France, Scotland, Flanders and Boulogne allied themselves with the rebels. The Great Revolt was only defeated by his vigorous military action and talented local commanders, many of them new men appointed for their loyalty and administrative skills. Young Henry and Geoffrey revolted again in 1183, resulting in young Henry's death the Norman invasion of Ireland provided lands for his youngest son John, but Henry struggled to find ways to satisfy all his son's desires for land and immediate power. Philip successfully played on Richard's fears that Henry would make John king, and a final rebellion broke out in 1189. Decisively defeated by Philip and Richard and suffering from a bleeding ulcer, Henry retreated to Chinon in Anjou, where he died. Henry's empire quickly collapsed during the reign of his youngest son John. Many of the changes Henry introduced during his long rule, however, had long-term consequences. Henry's legal changes are generally considered to have laid the basis for the English common law, while his intervention in Brittany, Wales and Scotland shaped the development of their societies and governmental systems. Historical interpretations of Henry's reign have changed considerably over time. In the 18th century, scholars argued that Henry was a driving force in the creation of a genuinely English monarchy and, ultimately, a unified Britain. During the Victorian expansion of the British Empire, historians were keenly interested in the formation of Henry's own empire, but they also expressed concern over his private life and treatment of Becket. Late 20th century historians have combined British and French historical accounts of Henry, challenging earlier Anglo-centric interpretations of his reign.
1: Early Years 1133-49
2: Henry was born in France at Le Mans on March 5, 1133 as the eldest child of Geoffrey the Fair, Count of Anjou, and the Empress Matilda, so titled because of her first marriage to Henry V, the Holy Roman Emperor. The French county of Anjou was formed in the 10th century, and the Orangevin rulers attempted for several centuries to extend their influence and power across France through careful marriages and political alliances. In theory, the county answered to the French king, but royal power over Anjou weakened during the 11th century, and the county became largely autonomous. Henry's mother was the eldest daughter of Henry I, King of England and Duke of Normandy. She was born into a powerful ruling class of Normans, who traditionally owned extensive estates in both England and Normandy. Matilda was married at a young age to Henry V. After his death she was remarried to Geoffrey. Following Henry I's death in 1135, Matilda hoped to claim the English throne but instead her cousin Stephen of Blois was crowned king and recognized as the Duke of Normandy, resulting in civil war between their rival supporters. Geoffrey took advantage of the confusion to attack the Duchy of Normandy but played no direct role in the English conflict, leaving this to Matilda and her half brother, Robert of Gloucester. The war, termed the Anarchy by Victorian historians, dragged on and degenerated into stalemate. Henry probably spent some of his earliest years in his mother's household, and accompanied Matilda to Normandy in the late 1130s. Henry's later childhood, probably from the age of seven, was spent in Anjou, where he was educated by Peter of Saints, a noted grammarian of the day. In late 1142, Geoffrey decided to send the nine year old to Bristol, the centre of Orangevin opposition to Stephen in the southwest of England, accompanied by Robert of Gloucester. Although having children educated in relatives' households was common among noblemen of the period, sending Henry to England also had political benefits as Geoffrey was coming under criticism for refusing to join the war in England. For about a year, Henry lived alongside Roger of Worcester, one of Robert's sons, and was instructed by a magister, Master Matthew. Robert's household was known for its education and learning. The canons of St. Augustine's in Bristol also helped in Henry's education, and he remembered them with affection in later years. Henry returned to Anjou either in 1143 or 1144, resuming his education under William of Conches, another famous academic. Henry returned to England in 1147, when he was 14. Taking his immediate household and a small number of mercenaries, he left Normandy and landed in England, striking into Wiltshire. Despite initially causing considerable panic, The expedition had little success and Henry found himself unable to pay his forces and therefore unable to return to Normandy. Neither his mother nor his uncle were prepared to support him, implying that they had not approved of the expedition in the first place. Surprisingly, Henry instead turned to King Stephen, who paid the outstanding wages and thereby allowed Henry to retire gracefully. Stephen's reasons for doing so were unclear. One potential explanation is his general courtesy to a member of his extended family. Another is that he was starting to consider how to end the war peacefully, and saw this as a way of building a relationship with Henry. Henry intervened once again in 1149, commencing what is often termed the enrichion phase of a civil war. This time, Henry planned to form a northern alliance with King David I of Scotland, Henry's great uncle, and Renulf of Chester. A powerful regional leader who controlled most of the northwest of England. Under this alliance, Henry and Ranulph agreed to attack York, probably with help from the Scots. The planned attack disintegrated after Stephen marched rapidly north to York, and Henry returned to Normandy.
1: Appearance and Personality Henry was said by chroniclers to be good looking, red
2: haired, freckled, with a large head. He had a short, Stocky body and was bow legged from riding. Often he was scruffily dressed. Not as reserved as his mother Matilda, nor as charming as his father Geoffrey, Henry was famous for his energy and drive. He was also infamous for his piercing stare, bullying, bursts of temper, and, on occasion, his sullen refusal to speak at all. Some of these outbursts, however, may have been theatrical and for effect. Henry was said to understand a wide range of languages, but spoke only Latin and French. In his youth, Henry enjoyed warfare, hunting, and other adventurous pursuits. As the years went by, he put increasing energy into judicial and administrative affairs and became more cautious, but throughout his life, he was energetic and frequently impulsive. Henry had a passionate desire to rebuild his control of the territories that his grandfather, Henry I, had once governed. He may well have been influenced by his mother in this regard, as Matilda also had a strong sense of ancestral rights and privileges. Henry took back territories, regained estates and re-established influence over the smaller lords that had once provided what historian John Gillingham describes as a protective ring around his core territories. He was probably the first king of England to use a heraldic design, a signet ring with either a leopard or a lion engraved on it. The design would be altered in later generations to form the Royal Seal of England.
1: Early reign 1150–62 Succession in Normandy and Anjou
2: By the late 1140s the active phase of the Civil War was over, barring the occasional outbreak of fighting. Many of the barons were making individual peace agreements with each other to secure their war gains, and it increasingly appeared as though the English Church was considering promoting a peace treaty. On Louis VII's return from the Second Crusade in 1149, he became concerned about the growth of Geoffrey's power and the potential threat to his own possessions, especially if Henry could acquire the English crown. In 1150, Geoffrey made Henry the Duke of Normandy, and Louis responded by putting forward King Stephen's son Eustace as the rightful heir to the duchy and launching a military campaign to remove Henry from the province. Henry's father advised him to come to terms with Louis, and peace was made between them in August 1151 after mediation by Bernard of Clairvaux. Under the settlement, Henry did homage to Louis for Normandy, accepting Louis as his feudal lord, and gave him the disputed lands of the Norman Vexin. In return, Louis recognized him as Duke. Geoffrey died in September 1151, and Henry postponed his plans to return to England, as he first needed to ensure that his succession, particularly in Anjou, was secure. At around this time, Henry was also probably secretly planning his marriage to Eleanor of Aquitaine, then still the wife of Louis. Eleanor was the Duchess of Aquitaine, a duchy in the south of France, and was considered beautiful. Lively and controversial, but had not borne Louis any sons. Louis had the marriage annulled and Henry married Eleanor eight weeks later on May 18. The marriage instantly reignited Henry's tensions with Louis, the marriage was considered an insult, it ran counter to feudal practice and it threatened the inheritance of Louis and Eleanor's two daughters, who might otherwise have had claims to Aquitaine on Eleanor's death. With his new lands, Henry now possessed a much larger proportion of France than Louis. Louis organized a coalition against Henry, including Stephen, Eustace, Henry the Count of Champagne, and Robert the Count of Perche. Louis's alliance was joined by Henry's younger brother, Geoffrey, who rose in revolt, claiming that Henry had dispossessed him of his inheritance. Geoffrey of Anjou's plans for the inheritance of his lands had been ambiguous, making the veracity of his son Geoffrey's claims hard to assess. Contemporaneous accounts suggest he left the main castles in Poitou to Geoffrey, implying that he may have intended Henry to retain Normandy and Anjou and not Poitou. Fighting immediately broke out again along the Normandy borders, where Henry of Champagne and Robert captured the town of Neufmort-surrept. Louis's forces moved to attack Aquitaine. Stephen responded by placing Wallingford Castle, a key fortress loyal to Henry along the Thames Valley, under siege possibly in an attempt to force a successful end to the English conflict while Henry was still fighting for his territories in France. Henry moved quickly in response, avoiding open battle with Louis in Aquitaine and stabilizing the Norman border, pillaging the Vexin and then striking south into Anjou against Geoffrey, capturing one of his main castles. Louis fell Ill and withdrew from the campaign, and Geoffrey was forced to come to terms with Henry.
1: Taking the English throne.
2: In response to Stephen's siege, Henry returned to England again at the start of 1153, braving winter storms. Bringing only a small army of mercenaries, probably paid for with borrowed money, Henry was supported in the north and east of England by the forces of Renulf of Chester and Hugh Bigod, and had hopes of a military victory. A delegation of senior English clergy met with Henry and his advisers at Stockbridge shortly before Easter in April. Details of their discussions are unclear, but it appears that the churchmen emphasized that while they supported Stephen as king, they sought a negotiated peace. Henry reaffirmed that he would avoid the English cathedrals and would not expect the bishops to attend his court. In an attempt to draw Stephen's forces away from Wallingford, Henry besieged Stephen's castle at Lawrencebury and the king responded by marching west with an army to relieve it. Henry successfully evaded Stephen's larger army along the River Avon, preventing Stephen from forcing a decisive battle. In the face of the increasingly wintry weather, the two men agreed to a temporary truce, leaving Henry to travel north through the Midlands, where the powerful Robert de Beaumont, Earl of Leicester, announced his support for the cause. Henry was then free to turn his forces south against the besiegers at Wallingford. Despite only modest military successes, he and his allies now controlled the southwest, the Midlands, and much of the north of England. Meanwhile, Henry was attempting to act the part of a legitimate king, witnessing marriages and settlements and holding court in a regal fashion. Over the next summer, Stephen massed troops to renew the siege of Wallingford Castle in a final attempt to take the stronghold. The fall of Wallingford appeared imminent and Henry marched south to relieve the siege, arriving with a small army and placing Stephen’s besieging forces under siege themselves. Upon news of this, Stephen returned with a large army, and the two sides confronted each other across the River Thames at Wallingford in July. At this point in the war, the barons on both sides were eager to avoid an open battle, so members of the clergy brokered a truce, to the annoyance of both Henry and Stephen. Henry and Stephen took the opportunity to speak together privately about a potential end to the war. Conveniently for Henry, Stephen's son Eustace fell ill and died shortly afterwards. This removed the most obvious other claimant to the throne, as while Stephen had another son, William, he was only a second son and appeared unenthusiastic about making a plausible claim on the throne. Fighting continued after Wallingford, but in a rather half-hearted fashion. While the English Church attempted to broker a permanent peace between the two sides. In November, the two leaders ratified the terms of a permanent peace. Stephen announced the Treaty of Winchester and Winchester Cathedral, he recognized Henry as his adopted son and successor, in return for Henry doing homage to him. Stephen promised to listen to Henry's advice, but retained all his royal powers. Stephen's remaining son, William, would do homage to Henry and renounce his claim to the throne, in exchange for promises of the security of his lands. Key royal castles would be held on Henry's behalf by guarantors while Stephen would have access to Henry's castles. And the numerous foreign mercenaries would be demobilized and sent home. Henry and Stephen sealed the treaty with a kiss of peace in the cathedral. The peace remained precarious, however, and Stephen's second son William remained a possible future rival to Henry. Rumors of a plot to kill Henry were circulating and, possibly as a consequence, Henry decided to return to Normandy for a period. Stephen, however, fell ill with a stomach disorder and died on October 25, 1154, allowing Henry to inherit the throne rather sooner than had been expected.
1: Reconstruction of royal government
2: On landing in England on December 8, 1154, Henry quickly took oaths of loyalty from some of the barons and was then crowned alongside Eleanor at Westminster on December 19. The royal court was gathered in April 1155, where the barons swore fealty to the king and his sons. Several potential rivals still existed, including Stephen's son William and Henry's brothers Geoffrey and William, but, fortunately for Henry, they all died in the next few years, Leaving Henry's position remarkably secure. Nonetheless, Henry inherited a difficult situation in England, as the kingdom had suffered extensively during the Civil War. In many parts of the country, the fighting had caused serious devastation, although some other areas remained largely unaffected. Numerous adulterine, or unauthorized, castles had been built as bases for local lords. The royal forest law had collapsed in large parts of the country. The king's income had declined seriously and royal control over the mints remained limited. Henry presented himself as the legitimate heir to Henry I and commenced rebuilding the kingdom in his image. Although Stephen had tried to continue Henry I's method of government during his reign, the younger Henry's new government characterized those 19 years as a chaotic and troubled period, with all these problems resulting from Stephen's usurpation of the throne. Henry was also careful to show that. Unlike his mother the Empress, he would listen to the advice and counsel of others. Various measures were immediately carried out although, since Henry spent six and a half years out of the first eight years of his reign in France, much work had to be done at a distance. The process of demolishing the unauthorized castles from the war continued. Efforts were made to restore the system of royal justice in the royal finances. Henry also invested heavily in the construction and renovation of prestigious new royal buildings. The King of Scotland and local Welsh rulers had taken advantage of the long civil war in England to seize disputed lands. Henry set about reversing this trend. In 1157 pressure from Henry resulted in the young King Malcolm of Scotland returning the lands in the north of England he had taken during the war. Henry promptly began to re-fortify the northern frontier. Restoring Anglo-Norman supremacy in Wales proved harder, and Henry had to fight two campaigns in North and South Wales in 1157 and 1158 before the Welsh princes Owain Gwynedd and Rhys ap had submitted to his rule, agreeing to the pre-civil war borders.
1: France, Brittany, Toulouse and the Vexin.
2: Henry had a problematic relationship with Louis VII of France throughout the 1150s. The two men had already clashed over Henry's succession to Normandy and the remarriage of Eleanor, and the relationship was not repaired. Louis invariably attempted to take the moral high ground in respect to Henry, capitalizing on his reputation as a crusader and circulating rumors about his rival's behavior and character. Henry had greater resources than Louis, however, particularly after taking England, and Louis was far less dynamic in resisting on Gavin Power than he had been earlier in his reign. The disputes between the two drew in other powers across the region, including Thierry, the Count of Flanders, who signed a military alliance with Henry, albeit with a clause that prevented the Count from being forced to fight against Louis, his feudal lord. Further south, Theobald V, the Count of Blois, an enemy of Louis, became another early ally of Henry. The resulting military tensions and the frequent face-to-face meetings to attempt to resolve them has led historian Jean d'Ambabin to liken the situation to the period of the Cold War in Europe in the 20th century. On his return to the continent from England, Henry sought to secure his French lands and quash any potential rebellion. As a result, in 1154 Henry and Louis agreed a peace treaty, under which Henry brought back the Vernon and the Neuf March from Louis. The treaty appeared shaky, however and tensions remained, in particular, Henry had not given homage to Louis for his French possessions. In an attempt to improve relations, Henry met with Louis at Paris in Mont-Saint-Michel in 1158, agreeing to betroth Henry's eldest living son, the young Henry, to Louis's daughter Margaret. The marriage deal would have involved Louis granting the disputed territory of the vexin to Margaret on her marriage to the young Henry. While this would ultimately give Henry the lands that he claimed, it also cunningly implied that the Vexin was Louis's to give away in the first place, in itself a political concession. For a short while, a permanent peace between Henry and Louis looked plausible. Meanwhile, Henry turned his attention to the Duchy of Brittany, which neighboured his lands and was traditionally largely independent from the rest of France, with its own language and culture. The Breton dukes held little power across most of the duchy, which was mostly controlled by local lords. In 1148, Duke Conan III died and civil war broke out. Henry claimed to be the overlord of Brittany, on the basis that the duchy had owed loyalty to Henry I, and saw controlling the duchy both as a way of securing his other French territories and as a potential inheritance for one of his sons. Initially, Henry's strategy was to rule indirectly through proxies and accordingly Henry supported Conan IV's claims over most of the duchy, partly because Conan had strong English ties and could be easily influenced. Conan's uncle, Hole, continued to control the county of Nantes in the east until he was deposed in 1156 by Henry's brother, Geoffrey, possibly with Henry's support. When Geoffrey died in 1158, Conan attempted to reclaim Nantes but was opposed by Henry who annexed it for himself. Louis took no action to intervene as Henry steadily increased his power in Brittany. Henry hoped to take a similar approach to regaining control of Toulouse in southern France. Toulouse, while technically part of the Duchy of Aquitaine, had become increasingly independent and was now ruled by Count Raymond V, who had only a weak claim to the lands. Encouraged by Eleanor, Henry first allied himself with Raymond's enemy Raymond Borenga of Barcelona and then in 1159 threatened to invade himself to depose Raymond. Louis, however, married his sister Constance to Raymond in an attempt to secure his southern frontiers. Nonetheless, when Henry and Louis discussed the matter of Toulouse, Henry left believing that he had the French king's support for military intervention. Henry invaded Toulouse, only to find Louis visiting Raymond in the city. Henry was not prepared to directly attack Louis, who was still his feudal lord, and withdrew, settling himself with ravaging the surrounding county, seizing castles, and taking the province of Quercy. The episode proved to be a long running point of dispute between the two kings, and the chronicler William of Newburgh called the ensuing conflict with the Louvre a Forty Years' War. In the aftermath of the Toulouse episode, Louis made an attempt to repair relations with Henry through an 1160 peace treaty. This promised Henry the lands and the rights of his grandfather, Henry I. It reaffirmed the betrothal of young Henry and Margaret and the Vexen deal. And it involved young Henry giving homage to Louis, a way of reinforcing the young boy's position as heir and Louis's position as king. Almost immediately after the peace conference, however, Louis shifted his position considerably. Louis's wife Constance died and Louis married Adèle the sister of the Counts of Blois and Champagne. Louis also betrothed his two daughters Marie and Alex to Theobald of Blois's sons, Theobald and Henry. This represented an aggressive containment strategy towards Henry rather than the agreed rapprochement, and caused Theobald to abandon his alliance with Henry. Henry reacted angrily. The king had custody of both young Henry and Margaret, and in November he bullied several papal legates into marrying them despite the children only being five and three years old respectively, and promptly seized the Vexin. Now it was Louis's turn to be furious, as the move clearly broke the spirit of the 1160 Treaty. Military tensions between the two leaders immediately increased. Theobald mobilized his forces along the border with Touraine. Henry responded by attacking Shaumont and Bleuys in a surprise attack he successfully took Theobald's castle in a notable siege. At the start of 1161 war seemed likely to spread across the region, until a fresh peace was negotiated at Frateville that autumn, followed by a second peace treaty in 1162, overseen by Pope Alexander III. Despite this temporary halt in hostilities, Henry's seizure of the Vexin proved to be a second long-running dispute between him and the kings of France.
1: Government. Family and household. Empire and nature of government. Henry controlled
2: more of France than any ruler since the Carolingians. These lands, combined with his possessions in England, Wales, Scotland, and much of Ireland, produced a vast domain often referred to by historians as the Orngevin Empire. The empire lacked a coherent structure or central control. Instead, it consisted of a loose, Flexible network of family connections and lands. Different local customs applied within each of Henry's different territories, although common principles underpinned some of these local variations. Henry traveled constantly across the empire, producing what the historian John Jolliffe describes as a government of the roads and roadsides. His travels coincided with regional governmental reforms and other local administrative business, although messengers connected him to his possession wherever he went. In his absence the lands were ruled by seneschales and justiciars, and beneath them local officials in each of the regions carried on with the business of government. Nonetheless, many of the functions of government centered on Henry himself and he was often surrounded by petitioners requesting decisions or favors. From time to time, Henry's royal court became a magnum concilium, a great council these were sometimes used to take major decisions but the term was loosely applied whenever a large number of barons and bishops attended the king. A great council was supposed to advise the king and give assent to royal decisions, although it is unclear how much freedom they actually enjoyed to oppose Henry's intentions. Henry also appears to have consulted with his court when making legislation. The extent to which he then took their views into account is unclear. As a powerful ruler, Henry was able to provide either valuable patronage or impose devastating harm on his subjects. Using his powers of patronage, Henry was very effective at finding and keeping competent officials, including within the Church, in the 12th century a key part of royal administration. Indeed royal patronage within the Church provided an effective route to advancement under Henry and most of his preferred clerics eventually became bishops and archbishops. Henry could also show his ira a e malevolentia, anger and ill will, a term that described his ability to punish or financially destroy particular barons or clergy. In England, Henry initially relied on his father's former advisers whom he brought with him from Normandy and on some of Henry I's remaining officials, reinforced with some of Stephen's senior nobility who made their peace with Henry in 1153. During his reign, Henry, like his grandfather, increasingly promoted new men, minor nobles without independent wealth and lands, to positions of authority in England. By the 1180s this new class of royal administrators was predominant in England, supported by various illegitimate members of Henry's family. In Normandy, the links between the two halves of the Anglo-Norman nobility had weakened during the first half of the 12th century, and continued to do so under Henry. Henry drew his close advisers from the ranks of the Norman bishops and, as in England, recruited many new men as Norman administrators, few of the larger landowners in Normandy benefited from the king's patronage. Henry frequently intervened with the Norman nobility through arranged marriages or the treatment of inheritances either using his authority as Duke or his influence as King of England over their lands there, Henry's rule was a harsh one. Across the rest of France. Local administration was less developed Anjou was governed through a combination of officials called Prevots and Seneschales based along the Loire and in western Touraine, but Henry had few officials elsewhere in the region. In Aquitaine, ducal authority remained very limited, despite increasing significantly during Henry's reign, largely due to Richard's efforts in the late 1170s. Court
1: and family Henry's
2: wealth allowed him to maintain what was probably the largest curia regis, or royal court, in Europe. His court attracted huge attention from contemporary chroniclers, and typically comprised a number of major nobles and bishops, along with knights, domestic servants, prostitutes, clerks, horses and hunting dogs. Within the court were his officials, Mysterials, his friends, Amici, and the familiars regis, The king's informal inner circle of confidence and trusted servants. Henry's familiars were particularly important to the operation of his household and government, driving government initiatives and filling the gaps between the official structures and the king. Henry tried to maintain a sophisticated household that combined hunting and drinking with cosmopolitan literary discussion and courtly values. Nonetheless, Henry's passion was for hunting, for which the court became famous. Henry had a number of preferred royal hunting lodges and departments across his lands, and invested heavily in his royal castles, both for their practical utility as fortresses, and as symbols of royal power and prestige. The court was relatively formal in its styling language, possibly because Henry was attempting to compensate for his own sudden rise to power and relatively humble origins as the son of a count. He opposed the holding of tournaments, probably because of the security risk that such gatherings of armed knights posed in peacetime. The Angevin empire and court was, as historian John Gillingham describes it, a family firm. His mother, Matilda, played an important role in his early life and exercised influence for many years later. Henry's relationship with his wife Eleanor was complex. Henry trusted Eleanor to manage England for several years after 1154, and was later content for her to govern Aquitaine. Indeed, Eleanor was believed to have influence over Henry during much of their marriage. Ultimately, however, their relationship disintegrated and chroniclers and historians have speculated on what ultimately caused Eleanor to abandon Henry to support her older sons in the Great Revolt of 1173–74. Probable explanations include Henry's persistent interference in Aquitaine his recognition of Raymond of Toulouse in 1173, or his harsh temper. Henry had several long-term mistresses, including Annabel de Balliol and Rosamond Clifford. Henry had eight legitimate children by Eleanor, five sons, William, the young Henry, Richard, Geoffrey and John, and three daughters, Matilda, Eleanor and Joan. Henry also had several illegitimate children. Amongst the most prominent of these were Geoffrey, Later, Archbishop of York, and William, later Earl of Salisbury. Henry was expected to provide for the future of his legitimate children either through granting lands to his sons or marrying his daughters well. Henry's family was divided by rivalries and violent hostilities, more so than many other royal families of the day, in particular the relatively cohesive French Capetians. Various suggestions have been put forward to explain Henry's family's bitter disputes from their inherited family genetics to the failure of Henry and Eleanor's parenting. Other theories focus on the personalities of Henry and his children. Historians such as Matthew Strickland have argued that Henry made sensible attempts to manage the tensions within his family, and that, had the king died younger, the succession might have proven much smoother.
1: Law Henry's reign saw significant legal
2: changes, particularly in England and Normandy. By the middle of the 12th century, England had many different ecclesiastical and civil law courts, with overlapping jurisdictions resulting from the interaction of diverse legal traditions. Henry greatly expanded the role of royal justice in England, producing a more coherent legal system, summarised at the end of his reign in the Treatise of Glanville, an early legal handbook despite these reforms it is uncertain if Henry had a grand vision for his new legal system and the reforms seem to have proceeded in a steady, pragmatic fashion. Indeed, in most cases he was probably not personally responsible for creating the new processes, but he was greatly interested in the law, seeing the delivery of justice as one of the key tasks for a king and carefully appointing good administrators to conduct the reforms. In the aftermath of the disorders of Stephen's reign in England there were many legal cases concerning land to be resolved, many religious houses had lost land during the conflict, while in other cases owners and heirs had been dispossessed of their property by local barons, which in some cases had since been sold or given to new owners. Henry relied on traditional, local courts, such as the Shire Courts, Hundred Courts and in particular seignorial Courts, to deal with most of these cases hearing only a few personally. This process was far from perfect and in many cases claimants were unable to pursue their cases effectively. While interested in the law, during the first years of his reign Henry was preoccupied with other political issues and even finding the King for a hearing could mean travelling across the Channel and locating his peripatetic court. Nonetheless, Henry was prepared to take action to improve the existing procedures, Intervening in cases which he felt had been mishandled, and creating legislation to improve both ecclesiastical and civil court processes. Meanwhile, in neighboring Normandy, Henry delivered justice through the courts run by his officials across the duchy and occasionally these cases made their way to the king himself. He also operated an exchequer court at Coen heard cases relating to royal revenues and maintained a number of king's justices who traveled across the duchy. Between 1159 and 1163, Henry spent time in Normandy conducting reforms of royal and church courts and some measures later introduced in England are recorded as existing in Normandy as early as 1159. In 1163 Henry returned to England, intent on reforming the role of the royal courts. He cracked down on crime, seizing the belongings of thieves and fugitives, and travelling justices were dispatched to the North and the Midlands. After 1166, Henry's Exchequer Court in Westminster, which had previously only heard cases connected with royal revenues, began to take wider civil cases on behalf of the king. The reforms continued and Henry created the general heir, probably in 1176, which involved dispatching a group of royal justices to visit all the counties in England over a given period of time, with authority to cover both civil and criminal cases. Local juries were used occasionally in previous reigns, but Henry made much wider use of them. Juries were introduced in petty assizes from around 1176, where they were used to establish the answers to particular pre-established questions, and in grand assizes from 1179, where they were used to determine the guilt of a defendant. Other methods of trial continued, however, including trial by combat and trial by ordeal. After the Assize of Clarendon in 1166, royal justice was extended into new areas through the use of new forms of assizes, in particular novel Deciusin, Mort dancestor, and Our Habit, which dealt with the wrongful dispossession of land, the right of inheritance, and the rights of widows, respectively. In making these reforms, Henry both challenged the traditional rights of barons in dispensing justice and reinforced key feudal principles but over time they greatly increased royal power in England.
1: Relations with the Church Henry's
2: relationship with the Church varied considerably across his lands and over time, as with other aspects of his rule, there was no attempt to form a common ecclesiastical policy.